The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. So good. Hey, uh, I, I have, uh, I want to say this again. I think I've said it every week so far um, since the first week, but I really have enjoyed this series. Um, God's spoken to me through it. And if you're new this morning, we have started a series called This Absurd Life in the book of Ecclesiastes four weeks ago. And um, the series is basically a walk through a book that a man named Solomon wrote. And um, his book is sort of this, um, his life thesis on everything that he pursued and trying to figure out what the meaning of life was. And it's been so good. So, so far, Solomon has talked about the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. He's talked about the pursuit of pleasure and powers. And, uh, and today, he's going to talk about our work, the things that we do uh, with our hands and our labor. And he's going to talk about how absurd that is. And so it's going to be good today. Let me pray for us. And um, we're going to jump right in. Jesus, this is your word. Um, this is your day. And so, God, I pray that you give us ears to hear. You speak very directly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody in the Colony Theater said, amen. Amen. Hey, um, I don't know if you can remember back. Some of you guys are further from this starting point than others. But if you can remember back to high school or college, uh, if you ever took classes that you were like, but what, what is the point of what I'm learning? Anybody have a class like that? You remember? You know exactly what that class was? Um, uh, for me, it was in high school. I was in 11th grade. And for whatever crazy reason, um, I, I signed up for AP physics. Um, science is not my thing at all, and especially physics. And I realized very early on in the class, like this is completely absurd. And, uh, and so I got into the class. I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the concepts. I was failing miserably. And my thought process was, I'm never going to use physics. And so what I did was, uh, my son was in the first service sitting down there about where you are, Tom. And I said, son, don't do what I did. Do what I said, okay? And so I, I put my book on the shelf. and It was my homeroom. When I came into physics, I took the book off the shelf, opened it up for class, put it back up on the shelf, and I never took it home because I was like, this is absurd. I'm never going to use physics. Um, a few years ago, I met a guy named David King. He was the uh, launch director for 135 NASA space missions. And I was thinking about it as I was preparing this message. David King... King probably sat in physics class. And he was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to use it for the rest of my life, right? And that's the opposite experience for me. I'm like, I'm never going to use it. So I'm not even going to study. I don't even care about it, right? Fail me. I could care less, right? Solomon is writing a book here and he's come to the end of his life. And he's sort of got this perspective where he's looking over his shoulder and everything that he's done, everything he's achieved, everything he's worked for. And now he's going to ponder this idea of labor, He's going to ponder his work. And specifically, he's going to come to this point where not necessarily his work, but he's going to think about the things that he achieved through his work, his wealth, his possessions, everything that he got because of his work. And he's going to have this moment where he's going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die soon, right? Like everybody comes to that reality. Death is certain. All of us are going to get to that point. And so Solomon, for the first time in the book, he's talking about death and he's, he realized that death is closer than birth. And then he starts to think about everything that I've achieved because of my work, all of a sudden, now I'm going to pass that on to somebody who comes behind me. And, 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 he, and the scripture here tells us he despairs over the thought of leaving what he earned to someone else and the prospect that they may waste everything that he had worked for. And now he comes to this realization. Was this ever worth it? It was like that class. You're like, Am I, I'm never going to do anything with it. So why even put anything into it? And so Solomon comes to this reality that, that everything, that it was absurd. And it's important to remember as we jump into Ecclesiastes 2 here 
But Solomon has this under the sun perspective. We talked about now for four weeks. He doesn't consider God's perspective on work. It's only his perspective, only what he can see, only what his eyes can perceive, only what his emotions can feel concerning his labor and his work and all of his toil. And he's got this really um, fatalistic conclusion about his work. And I think it's going to be good and instructive to us this morning. And I think everybody comes to that point. But before we get to uh, this, this thought process that Solomon's going to um, give to us, I think it's good to remember that work is a God-given gift. In fact, in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that when Adam and Eve made their choice to disobey God and choose life on their own terms, God gave the gift of work to us. And in Genesis chapter 3, um, the description of work reminds us of how Solomon describes all of the things he's pursued in life. And that description uses this word hevel, uses this idea of absurd and meaningless and futility. And Genesis chapter 3 gives us the same idea about labor, about our work, about the things that we do with our hands. And Genesis 3 is going to tell us, you're now going to work to provide for your needs. And at times, it's going to seem like drudgery. It's going to seem like toy. It's going to seem futile. And so Solomon's describing for us what that feeling is like at the end of his life. Now, um, he's already talked about how he pursued knowledge. He's already talked about how he pursued wisdom. And uh, he's always pursued pleasure and power. And sort of what he's saying now is sort of antithetical to how we as, uh, as Western parents approach things with our kids, right? Like we tell them you got to get good grades, right? So you can get into a good college, you can get a good job, and you can have a good life. And Solomon has sort of this antithetical uh, approach to the whole thing. And he's like, no, 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 that's all absurd. And so as he searched for meaning in all these different areas, now he's going to talk about how absurd our work is and our labor is. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting in verse 18. By the way, in the U.S., we work more hours than any other nation on the planet, right? Any other nation on the planet. We put in more hours every single week. And what Genesis 3 says is that when God described work, he described it as the curse being on work. We toil. It's going to seem like drudgery. It's going to seem like we have this love-hate relationship with us. And even though we put in more hours than any nation on the earth, the curse is still in effect in our labor today. And so we end up hating our jobs. We end up never getting everything done. We're looking forward to the day. We can start this myth called retirement, right? So then we get to retirement. We're like, oh my gosh, we wake up every day and realize, oh my gosh, I still have to work just to live. And so we find ourselves in this place of frustration and unsatisfaction. And Solomon is going to describe why we experience that as it pertains to our work. Now, just like we've done the last three weeks, I want to do this. Uh, there's a few verses here, but I want to go verse by verse with you because I, th I think it's important as we explain one verse, then the next verse becomes apparent to us. Starting in verse 18, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and this is what Solomon said. He says, I hated all the things that I had toiled for, all the things I had labored for under the sun. There's that phrase. It's his perspective. He doesn't include God in that perspective. I hated all the things that I had labored for under the sun because he says this, I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Now, there's another version of the Bible that I read, and it says in verse 18, thus I hated all the fruit of my labor for which I labor. Solomon reminds us about this idea of hevel later on in this passage, this idea of absurdity. Genesis 3 God says, because of man's sin, there's a curse on how we live and how we labor. And so our labor seems like it's futile at times. So Solomon's writing here and he's saying, not the labor itself. I want you to, don't misunderstand this. 
Solomon's not saying that, that work itself is futile. The scripture speaks clearly to the idea of work. That's why we work six days a week and rest one. We don't rest six days and work one. The scripture says we work six, rest one. Scripture affirms the work that we do. And so Solomon's not speaking negatively about the work itself. Solomon is very clear here. I, I, I believe it's absurd. He's obsessing over the fruit of his work. Why? He says, because, because I'm never going to enjoy the full fruit of it all. I'm going to leave it to a trust fund kid who didn't care how I did it, didn't care how I worked for it, didn't care about the process that it took to get to it. And he knows there's a day coming when he's going to die and everything he worked for no longer benefits him, all right? Now, most of us feel a little bit differently about this than Solomon does, okay? And it's important to distinguish between that idea. Solomon's like, I don't want to leave an inheritance to somebody because they're just gonna, they're gonna blow through it. They're not gonna provide education for their kids. They're not gonna start a business with it. They're just gonna blow through my inheritance. They're gonna quit their job. And it's not, I just don't wanna leave an inheritance. Most of us feel differently, right? Like I have three kids. I wanna work hard. I wanna leave something to my kids where there's financial stability. I wanna leave them something where there's a little bit of their life that has some sort of stability in it. And most of us may feel differently than Solomon. And I I just want to distinguish for you this morning. Solomon is not talking about whether inheritance is good or bad. That's not the point. What Solomon is talking about is we're going to find here in verse 19 in just a second, okay? Solomon's not thinking about his inheritance or his legacy specifically. To understand why he considers the fruit of his labor absurd, we have to read verse 19. And this is what verse 19 says. Verse 19 says, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, Listen to what he says. I have this part underlined in my Bible. If you've got something to write with, underline it. Yet they will have control. They will have control over all the fruit of my labor in which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. And then here's where we find Hevel. He says, this too is meaningless. This too is absurd. In other words, Solomon says, you work so hard, you work so long to control what you make and where it goes, and then after death, you lose all ability to control what happens to it. Now listen, what he's saying here. You need to understand this part to understand why he's saying your work seems absurd. Solomon's not talking about the stuff that he acquired because of his work. That, that's not what concerns him the most, right? He is not necessarily concerned that all, his concern is not the stuff, his concern is the loss of control that bothers him the most. The loss of control that bothers him the most. Now listen, this is the heart of the issue when it comes to the absurdity of our work. In the garden, Adam and Eve, God said, anything you want, this is all yours. There's one thing though that's off limits, the tree over here, leave it alone. Everything else I've created for you. I'm going to provide for your needs. I'm going to sustain you in this life. Everything you need, I'm going to provide for you. Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to make their own choice. They wanted to control their own life, control their own choices in how they lived. And you remember the story, if you've been around church at all, and maybe even if not, you probably understand the story in the garden of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve decided, I'm going to make my own choice, control my own life. And they did the one thing that God said not to do. The aftermath of that choice was that before God said, I'm going to provide for your needs. Now, because you decided you want to control of your own life, now the situation is you're going to have to work in order to provide your needs. 
And so Adam and Eve have initiated this process that the world has known ever since, and that is that our labor and that our work provides for our needs. So part of God's response to their choice was giving them this curse of labor to provide for their needs. What do you mean by curse of labor? Well, see, the idea here is that before they knew that God provided for their needs, now they're living under this false assumption that I, have to, I am the provider for all of my needs. You see, for most of us, and for Solomon, for most of us, work, for many of us, is this expression of a Messiah syndrome. What do you mean by that? Here's why. Because work gives us this illusion. Illusion means it's not true. We perceive it to be true. Work gives us this illusion that we are in control. Let me try to explain what I mean by that. When I was in seminary, I had to work multiple jobs to pay um, for multiple degrees at seminary. And the first job that I got was in this after-school program um, for the YMCA, and they assigned me to second grade, and it was awesome, and I loved it. And they gave me 40 kids to watch after at the after-school program at the YMCA, and it was amazing. And I realized I love kids. I just don't love 40 of them at a time. And so when I came to that realization, I'm like, okay, that combined with, I'm not making a lot of money here. I'm going to go look for something else, pay the bills, and it's a little more fulfilling. And so I had some friends that worked at this restaurant nearby that was close to campus, and they were like, hey, dude, you should come, and you, sh you should wait tables. And I'm like, okay, that's, that sounds good to me. How much do they make? They're like $2.48 an hour. I'm like, no, 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 I can't do that. And they were like, no, 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 you see, you can make tips, and depending on how good you are, um, you can make as much money as you want. And like for the type A personality, it's always the achiever. Per I'm like, oh my gosh, this is for me, right? Like, like I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna provide good service. I can and control everything that I want to make and I can make as much money as I want to make if I just work hard and I'm good about it. And then you wait tables for a while and then you slowly realize that not everybody's gonna tip you 50 bucks just because you smiled and you filled up their water every time. Sometimes they're gonna give you a track to tell you about Jesus and no tip, right? You're like, this is, this is crazy. Like, this is absurd. Like, like, I thought, like, I thought I could control they're aspects of my life based on how I work. And how silly is that, right? Like most of us live with this job. Like if you have a job currently, whatever vocation you are, whatever vocation you're in, a lot of us live with this idea that whatever I'm doing now is not the ultimate goal, right? Like I'm one place vocationally, I'm one place in my job, but I'm trying to get somewhere else. I'm trying to climb the ladder. I'm trying to achieve something else. And listen to me, have you ever thought about why you feel that way? Like, have you ever thought deep, have you ever taken the time to think deeply about why it is that we're trying to get to the next level? We're trying to climb to another level. Have you ever thought about that? Not, not I, I mean, more than a surface level. Well, of course I've thought about it because I need more money to pay for other things and pay for my kids. No, 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 that, that's the surface level. Have you ever thought deep down in your, what is the motivation for why we're trying to climb and trying to achieve the next level in our vocation? Can I tell you what I think it is and I think would, would, affirm what Solomon is trying to say here? I think it's because the next level in our job represents another level of control that we have over our lives. The next level in our job represents another level of security that we provide in our life. The next level represents more of a guaranteed future, right? 
I think deep down that's part of the motivation for climbing. And by the way, let me tell you this this morning. I had this conversation after the first service. I don't mean you shouldn't try to, to, to do more than what you're currently doing. I'm not speaking against that. I am trying to speak to the depths of your motivation for why you do what you do on a daily basis in your job and in your labor. But the reality is for most of us, we feel this frustration with our work. We feel this unsatisfaction, this unsatisfactory nature of our work, and we rarely stop long enough to think, why is this the case? Solomon's life has given him occasion to stop, to pause. And, 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 it's, and it's the fact that death is nearer now than birth was that Solomon would consider, what have I done with my life? And what was my motivation in my work? And was it all worth it? And I believe that a lot of us like Solomon, even though we come to different we come to it at different places. Solomon never worried about, do I, will I ever have, will I have more wealth to take care of future? Solomon's the richest man alive. He wasn't worried about, man, can I get more to provide for these needs that I currently have that I can't provide for now if I just had, Solomon didn't have that worry. It was the end of his life that he looked back and said, all of this stuff that I've done, now do I, will I have control over everything that I've done? Now, we feel the same absurdity that Solomon felt. But I want to posture towards us this morning but it's only when we understand the reality of this illusion of control that our work will begin to make sense. Let me try to illustrate it again. My father-in-law um, is a very godly man, and he's a man with as much integrity as anybody I know. He's the hardest working person I know. And for 30 years, he worked for Jacksonville Electric Company in Jacksonville, Florida. He started out as a lineman. He climbed poles and he fixed towers and transformers. And he worked his way all the way up to vice president of Jacksonville Electric. At 52 years old, after 30 years working for the same company, he retired as a vice president with a lot of security and a lot of things in the bank that would provide for his future. Now, when I think about 52 years old, I'm 12 years away. I know I look much younger and much more suave than 40. But listen, I think 12 years from now, that would be amazing just to, just to call it quits. I would be the best volunteer any church has ever seen, right? Like 52, that would be amazing. And so he gets to 52 and everything is secure and everything is safe. And in 2002, when he retired in the state of Florida, he decided, I'm going to begin this, this, uh, 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 I'm going to begin a company that develops land. I'm going to be a land developer in the state of Florida. And so he would go in and he would find land that's undeveloped, that nothing has ever been done with it. Maybe been around in generations for generations and generations. He would go in and make an offer, buy the land, um, build the land out where you'd have roads and you have lights and have everything you need. So somebody could come in behind him, purchase that from him and build apartments or residential housing on top of it. And so in 2002, when he retired at 52, six years later in 2008, our economy has experienced the worst crisis we've seen in years. The housing market has undergone the worst crisis it's seen in years. At 58 years old, my father-in-law is paying $25,000 a month in interest on properties that nobody no longer wants to buy. At 58 years old, after he's retired as a vice president of this company, safe and secure and his future is guaranteed, my father-in-law had to declare bankruptcy. And um, he's never said this to us. He's never once said it to his family because he's a man of integrity. When he declared bankruptcy, the type of bankruptcy he declared did not require him to go and pay back his creditors. But the man of integrity that he was, he went out 
and got a job in order to secure um, everything that he had been loaned because of his bankruptcy. And so at 58 years old, he went out and got this job that required him to be away from family all but four days a month. So he'd be in California, he'd be in Wisconsin, he'd be in Texas, he'd be in Kansas, all but four days a month. And he's done it for years and he just recently finally retired. And I, he's never said this to us, but I, I wish I could stand him on the stage and we could prod him a little bit. And, I, and in his integrity, I think he would look at all of us and say, there were many nights that I sat in a hotel room Having retired years ago, everything safe and secure, the bank account was firm, I knew what my future would be, and then I gambled it all on this land developing business, and here I am in this hotel room, away from all of my family, this is absurd. I believe he'd probably say that to us. And those are the emotions that he probably worked through. The illusion that work could control some sort of guaranteed future. Now listen, what's even more than this? When you understand that work is a gift of God, we also have to understand that with the gift of God that he's, God has given us is this idea of the illusion of control that comes with the gift that God gave us. You're like, well, why would, why would God give us something that has this illusion that really isn't reality? Is God wasting my time? Is he just trying to mess with me? God gave us work and the illusion of control that comes with work. Why? Ultimately, to point us back to himself as the provider and the sustainer of every need in our life. Now, here's the thing. I hope that none of you in this room, none of us in this room ever have to come to the point where we have worked our whole lives and everything is secure and in an instant, it's taken away. Two of my closest friends here in this city have recently, in the last year, lost a really, really, really good job. Just in an instant. One day, it's a great, secure job. The next moment, it's pulled out from underneath them. And I hope that none of us ever have to walk through that sort of process. And, and, and those two men, had a, they had an over-the-sun perspective, so they understood the reality of the situation. But I think sometimes, when those situations occur, it causes us to ponder and to wonder, what was the point of my work? Why was I doing what I did? And it points us back to this idea that maybe some of us have the illusion that by my work, I can control my future. I think that's what James meant in James chapter four when he says, come now, you, you, you who say today and tomorrow, we're gonna go to the city for a year, we're gonna conduct business and we're gonna make a profit. James says, but you don't even know. You don't even know what your, your life is like a vapor. Your life is here today and gone tomorrow. It can be secure in one moment and totally taken away from you in the next moment. So that causes us to wonder, is my job an expression of a Messiah complex that I have? That by this job, I can provide for everything we need. If you ever have to come to that point, if you ever have to come to that point where you're like, okay, I really wasn't in the control in the first place, you come to this realization that Tim Keller says in his book called Every Good Endeavor. I want to commend that book to you. If you're wrestling with your work, Every Good Endeavor is a fantastic book for you to read. This is what he says. Work is not all there is to life. You'll, have, you'll, you'll not have a meaningful life without work, but you cannot say that your work is the meaning of your life. If you make any work the purpose of your life, even if that work is church ministry, you create an idol that rivals God. Your relationship with God is the most important foundation for your life. And indeed, it keeps all other factors, work, friendships, family, leisure, pleasure, from becoming so important to you 
that, you, that they become addicting and distorting. And so Solomon has come to this point where he's realized, I had this illusion that I could control my life by what I did with my work and my labor. And so what happens is in verse 20, it tells us when Solomon came to that reality, look what had happened to him. When he came to that reality, look what happened to him. Verse 20 says this, so my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. The version that I read from here says, therefore I completely despaired over the fruit of all my labor. Solomon is exasperated over the thought that everything he's worked for only lasting a generation, and then he assumes the worst regarding somebody who's gonna take over his estate. By the way, the end of the story was Solomon had a son who did take over his estate and he squandered everything. And so Solomon comes to this point and the New American Standard says he completely despaired when he realized this was all an illusion of control. I don't really have control over my life. Listen to what Tim Keller says in Every Good Endeavor. If we look to some created thing to give us the meaning hope, and happiness that only God himself can give. It will eventually fail to deliver and it will break our hearts. So part of this intention in God's in work that God gives us is to remind us the most important and essential things in life, even work, as good as it is, fail to provide meaning and hope. And I hope none of you come to the place where everything is here one minute and everything is gone the next minute. I hope you come to that reality before that ever happens. Tim Keller says, as many have learned and later taught, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Now in verse 22, Solomon asks sort of this rhetorical question about this labor. In verse 22, Solomon says this, what do people get for all the toil and all the anxious striving for which they have labored under the sun? This is what he says. All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is absurdity. Solomon asked sort of this rhetorical question. Like, 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 where does it all go? All of this effort that I've put into work, what does it get me? And Solomon has an answer for us today. What all of it gets you is nothing, only grief. He said, I thought that by my work, I could control my future, provide security, and all I got was this lousy t-shirt that said, what the hevel? <laughs> the bottom line is we work ourselves to death, Solomon wants to say to us. To finally be able to afford a house, fill it up with all of this nice stuff, and then we die, and someone who spent their life barely passing math, skipping days of work, they move in, and they sit in the chair that still looks brand new because we never had the time to sit in it in the first place. In verse 23, Solomon says this. Solomon says, because all of his days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This is the answer to his rhetorical question. Where does it all go? What does it get me? This is the answer to the question in verse 22. If we never come to a true biblical understanding of work and instead daily live with this illusion of control, then what it gets us is this, pain and dissatisfaction in our labor during the day. And then it gets us this idea of stress and worry during the night. Seriously, I hope that we will be able to stop just for a moment 
and think about what it is that our work is accomplishing. What is it that we're actually accomplishing through our work? And I believe most of us would arrive at the same place that Solomon arrived, and we would say, it's frustrating. In fact, there are moments when it makes me just want to buy like this floral shirt, get a timeshare in Mexico where my cell phone doesn't work, sip pina coladas all day. Like, like it's frustrating at times. But I think oftentimes we rarely stop and reflect on why it is we do what we do because we're so stressed out by our work. So stressed out by our work that we lay awake at night. We think about what didn't get done today, what needs to get done tomorrow. And then when we wake up in the morning, we don't have the energy to do the work that we stressed about the night before because our body never rested. And Solomon says, no matter how smart you are, no matter the good grades you get in order to secure the good job for the good future to buy the perfect stuff, with an under the sun perspective of your work, you're gonna end up frustrated, agitated and aggravated, and you won't be happy. You will not be satisfied, but you're gonna spend your nights laying awake in your bed, stressed and depressed until health suffers. And then you realize my dream is now a nightmare. Can anybody relate to that? So Solomon has pondered the meaning of life. Chapter one and two, he's talked about wisdom and knowledge. He's talked about pleasure and power. And then he concludes this train of thought after he gets to the end of this idea of labor. And he asks a question that I think is good for all of us. And that question is, so what should I do with the few days that I have left under the sun? before my family buys an overpriced storage box of bones? Like, like, what should I do in the few days that remain that I have here on the earth? And the answer that the editor, if you've been here three weeks or Solomon, it doesn't really matter, the answer is still the same. The answer that the editor gives is beautiful. It's in verse 24. There is nothing better that a person can do than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own labor. This too I see is from the hand of God. Other, other words, Solomon says, don't waste your time trying to avoid life with pleasures and power. Don't try to waste your time trying to figure out life. It comes to this conclusion, stay close to God and enjoy the present. I believe we spend so much time trying to figure out life through our wisdom. We try to straighten out life through our work. We try to avoid life with pleasures and stuff, and then we die before we actually get around to enjoying it. We talked about this last week, but Solomon reminds us that happiness is not something that's experienced in the future. It's only experienced in the present. But most of us live as if it's something we, we're hoping to attain in the future, something that we regret, like, like, like we wish we could go back to in the past. Pascal, who's an 18th century French philosopher said, we seem never to be able to be happy with the present. Either we yearn for the future and wish it would hurry up and get here, or we mourn the past and wish it had not flown by so quickly. So we never really live. We only hope to live someday because we are always preparing to be happy. <laughs> we never are so. And here's the lesson. If you're not happy now, 
It's not some change of circumstance that you're going to control by your job. Happiness is a gift of God to you in the present. And Solomon would say it's absurd to think that if you're not happy now, content now, that you're going to be able to control happiness in the future by getting to some new level, some new circumstance that's going to bring what you're looking for. This is a fear that I have often, and not just for us, but for me personally. The fear that I often have about my own life is that I'm going to look around when I get older and I'm going to realize that I gave away the greatest moments of my life to get some elusive future that never delivered what it offered. Solomon says God alone can give you that happiness. It's not found in the future condition. It's found only in the present. Now listen, if you're not happy now, don't look to some change in your circumstance and trying to control it through your job that will bring you that happiness that only God can give. Remember Alexander the Great on his dying bed. Alexander the Great was said to have died unhappy, wishing for another world to conquer. Rockefeller was asked near the end of his life, how much is enough? You know what he said, just a little bit more. It's a miserable way to live. So what do we do with our work this morning? What do we do with what Solomon has said to us about this illusion of control, that by your work you can control your life? I believe Solomon would make this statement to us. Lay down your Messiah complex. Lay down this Messiah complex. Ecclesiastes 3, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all of his labor. It is the gift of God. The Lord has a job for you to do. The Lord has a job that he's called you to do. We need to recover this idea of calling. It's not just the pastors and the ministers and the missionaries. All of us have a calling. And the Lord has a job for you to do, and it's his gift to you. And listen to me, he intends for you to do that job and to enjoy your life along the way as you do it. I believe a decent percentage of us, I include myself, live with this Messiah complex. We feel like, how can I ever rest? There's more work that needs to be done. How can I take a vacation? There's stuff that I need to do. There have been times in my walk with the Lord where I have been fooled to believe that every cause of humanity needed to be mine. <laughs> like foster care kids, I need to own it. Homelessness in our city, I need to own it. This, I need to own it. Somebody brought this, I need to own it. And so what happens is when we have this Messiah complex, like, 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 like I live with guilt over something that has not yet been done. Maybe I could have done more. The reality that I've had to come to and still have to come to at moments and times in my life is that not every cause under heaven has my name on it. It's not my assignment, not every single one of them, and it's not the same for you either. Every cause under heaven doesn't have your name on it. Solomon would say, don't go through life as if the responsibility for all of it rests on you. Enjoy your life. Tim Keller says, a job is a vocation. Only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. You're like, pause just for a moment. I don't like working for somebody else. I don't like 
being controlled by somebody else. This is what Tim Keller is saying. Tim Keller's not talking about this horizontal, like me working for you and you work. Tim Keller is saying that a vocation, a vocation becomes a calling whenever you realize that I'm not doing it for you, I'm doing it for God. And so at that point, our work can be a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interest. I really want us to walk through a series on our work and our vocation. I think it will be good for us. He says, thinking of work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment. Listen. Thinking of your work mainly as a means of self-fulfillment and self-realization will slowly crush a person. It'll do the same for you. If you live under this illusion that by your work, you're going to control and create this preferred future because in one moment it's here, the next minute it's gone. And in that moment, we look up to God and say, God, now I remember that you're ultimately my provider and my sustainer. And I've been living under this illusion of control the whole time. Finally, the editor reminds us that work is good. Work is good. It's a good thing, six days and then rest. The editor reminds us that so is your Sabbath. We've talked about this in the past. The purpose of the Sabbath is not just for your body to recover from the pain and the grief that you experience in the process of working. Listen to me. The Sabbath, your rest, is good for your soul to be reminded of where your satisfaction and where your provision comes from. The last quote from Keller's book, Every Good Endeavor, to practice Sabbath is a disciplined and faithful way to remember that you are not the one who keeps the world running, who provides for your family, not even the one who keeps your work projects moving forward. That's a difficult reality for those of us who live in Western culture. I want to beg you this week to give your body Sabbath from your rest for this very reason, not just so that you can physically recover. I'm 40 now. I wake up in the mornings and things hurt. And I'm like, I just went to sleep last night. That's all I did, right? And my body needs to recover. But you know what my body also needs? My soul needs to be reminded that it's not this job as a pastor that's controlling my future, guaranteeing something for my kids when I'm gone. Ultimately, it's God. And when I rest and I'm not working, I'm reminded, God, I didn't work this day. I didn't provide for my family, yet you still provided for me. And I pray that you'll have that moment this week. That'll be a part of your natural rhythm and routine as a person who works and labors. Let me pray for us. Jesus, God, work is good. God, we're reminded that in our Sabbath, God, those days that our body and our soul is at rest with no work. God, we're reminded that in those days, you still provide for us. You still make provision, supply all of our needs. God, I pray that we'd be a people who work what we do and how we labor and how we strive. Not as if I'm living under this illusion that everything is up to me. Ultimately, we work with an over-the-sun perspective, God, that ultimately you make that provision. And what I'm doing now is simply a gift from you to create that provision. And I live with that worldview, with that lens. That's how I work, God. So Lord, thank you for the scripture today. Thank you for speaking deeply to us. God, I pray that as we sing, 
God, our hearts and our minds, our souls will be reflected on you, the provider, the sustainer of all of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen.